Welcome to the Nick and Matt Show. Bringing the player interviews you want to hear and the hot topics you want to discuss. Streaming live on the Foundation Podcast YouTube channel, here's Nick and Matt. Well, Nick, we have made it unbelievably to episode number five zero. That's 50. Episode 50. I'm pretty, pretty surprised at that, actually, in a sense of like, holy cow, we've already done 50 episodes. (laughs) 50 kind of insane and you know what i'm pumped last week's episode now granted people listening later you know not live they all get hopefully what they expect and it's good interviews um or at least the people coming on are cool (laughs) and last week nick we care about something it was cool for us we actually hit just shy literally like seven people shy of two thousand concurrent live viewers at one time during this live stream that's like and that that was what let's see three times almost four times greater than our previous best <laughs> yeah with honestly it and it was it with Macbeth or I don't remember who it was now Sexton uh, we've had a lot of good ones no, Simon. Pretty, it was a Simon one it was a Simon one that we had in studio we got up to like 570 or 580 Ooh, or something like that 570 now we've got a yeah. mark that's going to be and now we have yeah we that. have a massive milestone to try to beat out now well we did it in our first 50 so let's say in the next 50 if we can break that record then we're on the right track well maybe we're on the exactly. right track but that would be another yeah, yeah, yeah. good mark that'd be sweet <laughs> okay we have a really, really cool interview lined up tonight with James Conrad, everybody. He mm-hmm. will be on the show. It's getting pushed a little bit here. Don't run away, but it's probably going to be in about 40 minutes or so. Nick and I have some topics, hopefully to entertain you, um, to keep you engaged until we get to the moment of climax, can I say? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, Nick, I was hanging out uh, filming with Simon today. And just to put it out there real quick, I'm going to brag just a little bit. Yes, mm-hmm. he did give me a premium tilt. Look at that. I la- I don't know if I've laughed that much throwing a disc in like quite a while, actually. Have you you've yeah. thrown one? Yep. Yep. They're they're insane. It's it's wild. <laughs> it's wild. Yeah. Literally. It's like it it, it doesn't the first time he told me to throw it, he was like, all right, throw it over hole one white at Maple Hill. He's like, don't aim at the water though, aim a little left. And uh, I was like, cool. And he was like, but throw it flat and hard. And so I threw it literally probably as hard as I could, nice and flat. And within like the first hundred feet, just started dive bombing left. And I was like, all right, I, uh, I don't really know what the point of this disc is, but for you, it's pretty awesome. I, <laughs> I don't want to give away all the marketing genius, but I asked him, I said, okay, so like, really, Simon, what's the inside scoop? Like, what is this disc good for? He's like, it is good for certain shots. He, he said it mm-hmm. is good for, I threw it as hard as I could. Now, I'm not a power thrower, but my literal first shot just made me laugh because of how fast it falls out of the sky. Yeah, exactly. It wants to hit the ground. And so one other lucky, probably others out there in the world, but one other lucky guy at the park got one of these. And we said, or I said, I'm like, throw that as hard as you can in front of Simon right now, just to show, like, I want you to see. He's like, I could probably use it as a flex shot disc. And I'm like, no. No, you can't. There's, there's no flex shot with it. It just, <laughs> it starts and then it ends. Yeah, that's what it is. Upside down. And it's weird, as he said, and this is not an ad for the tilt, but it's coming out at some point. I'll just say that. I was filming with Simon on it. Thank you, Simon, for the fun. Um, 
the softer you throw it, it actually seems to go a little bit further because it's actually reverse. Oh, it's almost reverse engineered. The harder you throw it, the more overstable it gets. So, I got gotcha. you. Really, and especially upside down. That's another way to do it. Um, you've been busy. You were out at Worlds. You came back. What have you been up to since you got back? Yeah, when I went out to Worlds, I uh, came back just what about a week ago. Yeah, I think a week ago tomorrow. Oh no, no, no. a week ago yesterday. Um, I came back anyways, and then uh, I actually just went out and played a tournament this past weekend, which I didn't do great in, but at the same time, I'm pretty, not going to lie, my body was pretty exhausted after Worlds, and I really didn't get to play that much disc golf since getting back home, because I'm actually starting to now pursue my real estate license and get going with kind of, you know, a professional job down here in Virginia and just pursuing a career that um, I want to do besides for disc golf, uh, real estate's been something that I've been talking about the last few months and I'm finally able to get everything going. I have an appointment with the DMV tomorrow to transfer all my stuff and officially become a Virginian person. And, uh, I don't really know what they call themselves, but, uh, yeah, I'm pretty excited, but I'm also, I'm pretty wiped out from it. <laughs> Man, why do we have to work in this life? <clears throat> no, I'm just kidding. Yeah. It's, it's always a hustle. That's always what's no matter what, if I gave up the podcast, the multiple podcasts I'm doing, the things that I start, all my ambitions, right? I give them all up. Guess what? I started again. <laughs> I am yeah, just a exactly. hustler. Yep. Okay. Yep. Um, Nick, we have made it to the point in 50 episodes where we have a very cool thing tonight. You want to shave some strokes off your game, Nick? I do. Every <laughs> single weekend, I think about shaving some strokes <laughs> off my game. All right. Well, perfect. Support for the Nick and Matt show tonight is brought to you by Manscaped, who is the best in men's below the waist grooming champions of the world. That's pretty epic, Nick. Woo mm -hmm. Oh, you're holding up a box there. Nice. I am. This so, is the box. It's actually pretty sweet, but I'll let you finish what you got to yeah. say. Man Manscaped offers, this is what you were just showing, is precision engineered tools for your family jewels. Manscaped just launched their fourth generation trimmer. That's what you have there, I believe. The Lawn Mower yep. 4.0. You heard that right, everybody. The Lawn Mower 4.0. So join over 2 million, 2 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with this exclusive offer. It is up on the screen now for those of you watching. Use the code Nick and Matt for 20% off and free shipping worldwide. So this exclusive offer, 20% off and free worldwide shipping with this code. <clears throat> Nick, I started out with a joke. You want to shave some strokes off your game. But the reality is, Nick, we do not throw balls, but you can shave nope. them. So Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So what is, what is it about this product that you find enjoyable? I actually have one too, and I can let you know, but pull it out. There yeah, you go. Yeah, so I mean, so I'm actually holding it up right now, but for me, it's, you know, it's nice and durable actually, like it's got a nice feel to it, and then it's also lightweight. So it's, you know, not kind of like a pain in the butt to hold around and do what you need to do when it comes to shaving. And uh for all the people out there who potentially were using a shaver for your face and for your jewels, uh now just go out and get the Manscaped 4.0 and this thing will be a lifesaver and you can use it specifically for the family jewels. <laughs> That's right. Nick once I saw the 4.0 waterproof, waterproof, mm -hmm. uh, you better believe I tried it out, took it to the shower. I said, there's no way I'm going to try to break this thing. It did not break. <laughs> it did not break. Uh, one of the other cool features is that it has inductive charging. I am a, an electrician safety professional. Mm -hmm. Induction is a real thing. <laughs> Wireless electricity. And yeah. it charges that way. 
very cool. It definitely shaves longer than you'd ever have to. I think I could shave my whole body. And look at me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm a hairy man. So. Yeah, um, no, they're, it's amazing. It's definitely, it's easy to use. And I mean, it's the latest of their technology and it comes with a couple different sizes depending on what your comfort is for uh, shaving. And which is also nice. Like you said, the wireless charging uh, is a huge bonus. It's got an LED light on it. So lighting is not an issue as well. Yeah. Oh, oh, I know the light. This is like a toy. Like my kid wants to play with it, but he's not ready yet. Yeah, um, exactly. So again, get 20% off your order. And by the way, I can't tell you how much cash dollars that is saving you, but potentially it's saving you hundreds of dollars, potentially mm-hmm. <laughs> and get it shipped for free. Um, 20% off using the code Nick and Matt. Uh, Nick, I thought of this. You don't like finding yourself in the rough. Well, <laughs> you're already laughing. So trimming the rough is important. Get out of it. Let's get on the fairway. Enjoy your life. And I have to say, they also sent a pair of boxers. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's all I'm going to say. On the disc golf yeah, course, actually, it's been fantastic. Yeah, the boxers have been super comfortable. And they gave us a really, really nice shirt, which was enjoyable. It was nice fabric, comfortable to wear and everything like that. So... <laughs> Uh, I just got to say, I said to my wife, hey, ready for this awesome sponsorship that I got? And she just looks at me and shakes her head. She's like, that is totally yeah. you. So it is. exactly. Join the two million men, everybody. Get in on this. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Manscaped, for joining Disc Golf in this form. Everybody, go show love to Manscaped. All right. Use code Nick and Matt. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. Nick and Matt <laughs> on the website. All right. We had two... Significant events happened this past weekend. Um, we had Clash of the Canyons, which is DGPT Silver Series, which I do want to talk about that in just a second. Um, and the Majestic, okay? Do you remember, Nick, and this is where I kind of start the conversation before we get into the stats revol- revolving around that. Do you remember the beginning of this season? In your mind, did Silver Series and your Elite Series have a big difference? Like, or were they very similar in nature at the beginning of the season? No, I think for the most part, um, depending on when the events were, I think kind of determined how competitive the event was in the sense of like, if it was right after Waco, I think it was, um, one of the Silver Series events after that was pretty close for everyone. And so a ton of the top guys went to it. You know, the 1050 rated guys, the 1040 rated guys all went to those events. But I think this one, uh, lately, the highest rated guy at the tournament was 1034 being Nico LaCastro. So we didn't see, you know, Paul McBeth. We didn't see Nate Sexton. We didn't see um, Ricky Wysocki, Eagle McMahon, Chris Dickerson, any of these players. And we also didn't see our new world champion, James Conrad, because he was competing at another event out in Minnesota. So when it comes to the competitiveness, obviously it's a competitive event. It's a service series. There's live coverage on the final day, but it doesn't have that, you know, massive, massive competitiveness like the normal DGPT uh, elite series events have had throughout the year. Yeah. And I guess just generally you're, you're not wrong with your assessment. I felt like after the, I say after the pandemic, the season of disc golf last year in 2020 was so messed up. That like when disc golf returned this year, the silver series events seemed so epic to me because everybody was looking for every opportunity to play, including Paul Macbeth, Ricky Weiss, mm-hmm. all the big names. And it was yeah. like, what is the literal difference between 
a silver series and the elite series because I felt like it was just the return, quote unquote, to disc golf. <clears throat> but with this event here, as you mentioned, uh, Clash of the Canyons, I felt like it was kind of a return to what the silver series originally was. Yeah, it was kind of like that, you know, lower level tour of you have these touring players who potentially will go to this event. But for the most part, it's your touring players that are really looking to play every single weekend. They're doing this and they need to make cash every single weekend to kind of get to that next event, which, you know, I like. I like the Silver Series being that it's kind of like you have your you have the pro tour, your massive tour that every best name in the world is going to go to. And then you have a smaller tour that. Some of the big names may go to it, but mostly it's lower level names trying to kind of make a name for themselves out on the road right now. So it gives them a great opportunity to still travel to an event, hopefully make some decent money and get their name out there, especially with the Disc Golf Network doing the media coverage for the final day. And I'm pretty sure most of these events have had post-round production as well. Yeah, there's there's no doubt there's value there. It was just a perception of mine. Now, granted, you did have two events that were significant, one being long term. Obviously, they're both they're both well standing yep. events, but the Majestic has, you know, a long history to it. Um, everyone from Climo to Felberg to everybody has won that. I say everybody. The big names have won that event and you have an opportunity yep. to do that. So we're going to talk about both of those right now. Let's start out with Clash of the Canyons. Um, you have somebody named Dan Schlitter. Have you ever met this individual in person by chance? I have not. And I think I've only heard the name a few times, but I've never met him. Okay. He takes it down 28 under par. That's pretty typical for a disc golf tournament, right? Um, he performed yeah. really well for himself. Um, playing better looks like than he usually does on average, uh, taking first place in a lot of the U-Disc stats, um, except for almost in, incredibly almost last place in circle two putting, but everything else was so good. Um, his scramble, getting to circle one and reg fairway hits, mm -hmm. getting off the pad to the basket. Incredible. So congrats yeah. to Dan Schlitter. Nick, you have those stats pulled up by the way, as you pull those up, shout out to stat Mando, mm -hmm. follow them on Twitter, follow them on their website, statmando.com. They provide us all these stats, and we're looking to actually do a lot more featuring of really interesting stuff that they go and yeah. find and share on their Twitter. Nick, what else do you see there in the MPO that stands out to you for this uh, Clash of the Canyons? Well, I think one of the biggest things to take away from this weekend is that it came down to a playoff, and we had just witnessed a pretty big playoff happen at Worlds, and so to go to an event now a week after that and to be able to see another playoff at a Silver Series event is pretty awesome. Uh, Terry Roethlisberger, another team discraft guy on the tour team, was able to also shoot 28 down, has a lot of really good stats all across the board. He doesn't have anything in first place when it comes to the stats, but at the same time, he has a lot of like top threes, top fours, you know, top twos and any different stats. I think fairway hits 87% getting third place in that circle two in regulation, pretty great. Um, and 88 looks like 88% circle one putting. And then kind of rounding out the podium was Chandler Fry, once again, another team discraft uh, tour team guy shooting 27 down, one back of the lead and one back of playing in that playoff. And he was first place in gained putting strokes and also had the highest rated round of the event being 1067 in round two. Uh, Birdie Pusen, she was first and Circle 1X putting slated with 100% Circle 1X putting throughout the whole event, which is uh, pretty awesome. No doubt. Yeah. Excuse me, my clearing my throat. Um, Brody Smith, a name that gets brought up fairly often now in disc golf. 
um, shot one stroke off of like a hot round, I believe. Was it two strokes or one stroke? I think he was two strokes off the hot round after the first round. Okay, so an excellent round, shooting well. He doesn't want to hear this, but shoot, but shooting a significant portion better than his average, which means he's continuing to show that he has a higher ceiling. That's really what's happening yep. here. And unfortunately, I'm sure even for his own expectations, he did not finish the way that he would have probably hoped. Now, I've not talked to him, but... I've talked to others about it, and I, I think just generally he gets a pass this year for the most part, and he's talked about it himself. Mm-hmm. His consistency right now is lacking. He is showing phenomenal ceiling, like where he can get to, but then he's yep. not doing that, obviously, every round. And what does it take to do it every round? To pretty much be Paul Macbeth, or everybody has their off rounds, but like to do it on yeah. such a high level, what does it take? I mean, is, it, is he going to be able to do it just next do year? It literally... I feel like literally just doing it over and over and over. I think that's anything when it comes to consistency is just doing it a very repetitive amount. You know, if you want to get better at putting from 20 feet, then do a thousand putts from 20 feet a day. And eventually your body is going to develop that muscle memory. I think the same thing comes in disc golf to where if you're going to want to hit those shots, you have to practice hitting those shots. And I feel like that's pretty much where the biggest, obviously he has great form Uh, when it comes to putting, he has great backhand form, decent forehand form. And uh, he has all the tools to be able to compete at that high level, as we've seen a couple times this year. Now it's just building up the consistency and look who he's competing against, you know, guys who have been playing for 10 plus years. You know, they've been playing and touring for the last five years, maybe. And he's still keeping up with them. You know, he was only six strokes back this last tournament, you know, so he's he's right there. He ended up dropping out of the top 10, finished at 11th place. But if he had gained, you know, shot one stroke better, he would have been tied for ninth place. So he's competing at a high level. And like you said, he may not be too happy about it, but at the same time, he he's playing very well. Yeah. And, and I guess it, you say one stroke better round two is where he fell off and I'm sure it just felt horrible. <clears throat> All right. Mm-hmm. Enough about Brody. Um, fourth place that I, I jumped to Brody yeah. cause he was a notable, Shannon, bo- yeah. notable name, but Gannon Burr, actually yep. Yep. I sponsored by prodigy. Also picked up recently by Foundation Disc Golf. By the Foundation, yep. That kid, we we interviewed him. <clears throat> we did. Really nice guy. Uh, was injured, came back off an injury. And honestly, he's always feeling, I, I say he's always. Either he's very, very good at evaluating his own game. He's saying, I'm underperforming. I'm, I'm underperforming. But that's when he's shooting 1,040 rated rounds. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, throughout the event, he was averaging, what was it, 1038 throughout the whole event? which was, let's see, 20 points above his rating. Yeah. So obviously he's playing playing very well. Um, we've heard his name a couple of times this year, especially dating back to Waco, you know, actual elite series event. He was on lead card. And so he's right up there. He's a young guy too. He's got a ton, a ton of potential. And uh, he'll keep going out there as long well, as he stays injury free. Only two strokes off of tying the, the win. Like he did great. Yeah, so a shout exactly. out also, you already said this, but Chandler Fry, I just want to hit on it one more time. That guy. Mm-hmm had the opportunity to hang out with him a little bit. What a nice guy. You, he, yeah. An incredible disc Chandler's golfer. really nice. That just brings me to a note here, Nick. Anybody that's like a top 50 or 100 in the world in anything is pretty good at what they do. Mm-hmm. To say that anybody on tour is not that good at disc golf would be a way massive like overstatement or understatement, however you want to look mm-hmm. at it. Like, you're good at, like, and I say that as a surprise. You're good at disc golf. Like, 
Yeah. The difference sometimes, if you say over five rounds, 10 strokes or 15 strokes, like that's still significant. Over 90 throws, you're only throwing 15 more. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. It's to do it where that one stroke literally matters. The one stroke, like that's where yeah. it gets super incredible. Oh, no doubt. I mean, especially because every single player after an event can look at all the things that they should have done better. Any player, there's no player right now. I don't think there's ever been a round where a player said that was it. That that was the most amazing round in the world. And Paul's 18 down at Toboggan is probably the closest thing to it. But at the same, to- same time, he has a par in that round on hole 10. So every single round, someone's going to say, oh, I could have done this better. You know, all it took for Chandler was to shoot one stroke better, and he's in a three-way playoff now for first place at a Silver Series event. So, yeah, it's whoever in the game of disc golf, it's whoever makes the least mistakes. That's it, Generally, that's what it comes down to. Yeah. Wh- Actually, that's it. That's a good way to look at it. And I was going to say, well, I, I make the most. So that's but it's also who makes the most good shots with the least mistakes. But yes. OK, who capitalizes on the most? Yeah. So Kristen Tatar, a name that has been talked about because she is now not in Europe. She's in the USA. Mm-hmm. Um, Obviously, I had her and I say, obviously, I put her in a significant place to possibly even win worlds. I said second. She yep. performed pretty well. Uh, not surprisingly, having probably jet lag and everything else leading into it but she took it down clash of the canyons i'm glad for her that she comes to the u.s and she wins one um Mm -hmm. before you or anybody says well who was there at that event as and i'm going to give credit to brody here as brody would say who cares a win is a win is a win and yep. I generally agree with that. But now, now Brody goes, who cares about this? But we can also look, her performance was 984. And I'll tell you what, that may not have been enough to beat Paige at her best, but that's a pretty dang good round. And whereas you could have, it's not a, it's not mm-hmm. a fluke. <laughs> yeah. I mean, averaging, she's, what was it? She was averaging 14 points above her rating while doing that on her way to first place. So, uh, you know, averaging above your rating in general is always going to be a good sign. And when you're able to do that and win a tournament, that's an even better sign. So you can see she's playing at a level that is above what her average is. And it gives her the confidence going into different events, you know, throughout the year. And so hopefully this is a good stepping stone. And I was actually able to briefly talk with Kristen a little bit after uh, actually trying to get her onto the show today. But uh, she said she feels good. She's confident. Um, she's got some stuff going on right now. But uh, for the most part, like a be planning to see her name on the leaderboard at a lot of these events, whether Paige cat and, you know, Haley King aren't at those events. You'll see Kristen's name very consistently. I thought you were going to say everybody plan. You will see her name on the Nick and Matt show uh, episode number or whatever. Eventually, hopefully that's the plan. <laughs> it is the plan. Um, and another name that I would like to have on here, a name, a person, I, I will give them that a person, not yeah. a name, Sarah Gilpin. Um, she took second place here, finishing three strokes behind Kristen, performing actually pretty good for herself. Again, a lot of these uh, women stepping up to play some of their best golf this past weekend. Um, just generally, like some first place finish in, in stats, uh, second place finishes in stats, just generally an all around good performance out of her, um, with round three being her best performance. Mm-hmm. Um, but you had other notable names, Holly Finley. And again, for those of you this year who are fairly new, I say notable, Juliana Corver, and you say, well, I haven't heard about her before. Let's go way back. She's multi-world champion, five-time world champion. Yeah, five-time. 
Yep. Um, JK AVR is yeah. named after her and everything like that. She's got her own AVR plastic and everything. Uh, Juliana, incredible player, uh, did play well at this event. Obviously getting fourth place at it is great. Sarah Hokum finishing seventh, but a name to kind of talk about really quick is Innova's team member, Holly Finley, because this was, I, I'm not sure exactly how the course played out, but from what I heard, it was more on the wooded side of everything. And that is where we see Holly Finley continue to succeed is in the woods. I think one of them was at, is it Texas States? The national tour earlier yes. this year that Haley had won. Holly Finley was putting a nice run at it throughout that event and playing great. And if this helps solidify your point, 2018, Holly Finley takes it down. Oh, okay. Yep. So, yes, this is an event that she is able to shine at. So, good job for her third. And then Sarah Hokum underperformed according to how she normally plays, Nick. There's no way around mm -hmm. it. She took a seventh place here. It is notable to point that out. Um, I don't think she's on the decline, but she had that injury. She had to sit out for a while. She is not in prime condition, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. um, but that is where she found herself seventh place Clash of the Canyons. Yeah. Now, before we move on, I just want to say Dan Schlitter, this was his first A-tier win or better ever Clash of the Canyons. Congrats to him. And in the same breath, I also want to point out, we also have another first-time A-tier or better winner in Noah Meinsma at the Majestic. Now, again, where did I get that stat from? Statmando.com. Statmando. Follow them on Twitter. Go to their website. Check out their cool tool. Um, Statmando, thank you very much for providing us the insight on these stats. So Noah Meinsma um, beat out a big name, Nick. Who took second place there? One of my favorite disc golfers of all time, <laughs> Kale Leveska, Mr. Airborne Disc Golf himself, kind of the guy running the preserve course and everything like that, where they're going to see a DGPT later on this year. Uh, we watched the preserve last year, but Kale has won this event multiple times. And I'm curious, actually, if we know how many times. Let's um, see. I can look it up real he quick. Won it, he won it back in 2013. Yep. I'm pretty sure he's won the event before, but he's kind of like the local guy. Oh, he won it in 2017 as well. Yep. So uh, maybe a two-time, maybe even more than that. But uh, definitely someone who plays that course a lot, plays that area, has a big name out there. And then I actually didn't know this, but Noah Mindsma, the kid who won the event sponsored by DGA, uh, he is a local to that area. I was kind of reading his Instagram post earlier today. And so he said what an incredible feeling it was to kind of win for the home crowd. So shout out to him. Like Matt said, this first A-tier or better win in his career in Open in 2014, he won an A-tier, but playing the advanced division. So, definitely so he has an A-tier win, <laughs> but it's an advanced. Yeah, exactly. Um, but here's another thing. Again, I can't say it enough. Thank you to Statmando. Noah finished. This is really extraordinary. Nick, you might have looked here. Did you look and see where he finished at Worlds? Did you already see that? I, I okay. was literally just about to. Let me put yeah. it out there for people driving around right now or in the chat. Think to yourself. How did Noah finish at Worlds? He Obviously, we said he took first here at the Majestic. How did he finish at Worlds? Um, I will come right back to that. Um, other notables here, Garrett Gerthy taking third place. Mm -hmm. Kevin Jones tying for third place. Good for him. He's performing well. Remember at the beginning of the season, what was our talk about yep. Kevin Jones? Do you remember? Where is Kevin Jones? Yeah. We were talking about that kind of week in and week out at this point. And then for the last couple of times... Um, you know, it's been good to see Kevin's name back up there. Obviously, had a very, very strong showing up at Worlds. And, uh, yeah. Yeah, so I think I've given enough time for answers to come in on this. Noah finished 127th place at Worlds. 127th place. Nick, 
it doesn't really matter here, but you beat them out by like 80 or almost 90 places. But he goes out yeah. and he performs at the Majestic and takes it down yeah. over, over the current world champion who took first at Worlds. What a swing. What yeah, a swing. Exactly. Kind of cool going from 127th and then a week after you go and play this massive A tier and play and get obviously first place. But then James Conrad goes and wins the biggest event of his career and the biggest event of the year and then goes and gets 12th place at this event. So it's kind of like all or nothing versus nothing at all in the sense of like what the two players kind of had to go out there and do. I think it's it's almost like when you watch a player get an ace in a tournament, which actually, funny story, this last tournament that I just played, I had my first ever career tournament ace. And then the next hole I parred, which was kind of a bummer. But it's like following up an ace, you almost never do a good shot after. I feel like that's kind of like if you win the world championships, like you're still on that world championship high. And so you go try to play an event right after, but it might not work out usually. <laughs> I like how you said that. It might not yeah. work out usually. Usually. <laughs> like, yeah. Usually. I feel like I feel like it doesn't, but at the same time, I don't know. Maybe maybe it does for some people. I have no idea. I, it's gotta be hard. I'll have to, I'll have to hit up Stat Mando and see all the previous world champions. How did they do in the event right after? Ooh, there you go. And they be said pretty, they listen. They said they would follow it up. Thing. Yeah. Send that to me or send that. I don't know if you have Evan's phone number there, Stat Mando, but let's get that over to them. If there's a way to follow up world champions with their next yeah. PDGA event performance following worlds, that's very interesting. We'll, we'll bring it back if they find it. Yeah. I almost, <laughs> I'm going to look up one of them, but uh, you keep going. Uh, yeah. You can look up Paul probably. Okay. That's what I'm doing. Um, other notables here. I mean, it goes down the list, um, but James Conrad is the most notable getting 12th place here. Um, he was the highest ranked per U disc at that event, mm -hmm. I believe. <clears throat> I, that's interesting. I'm pretty sure that's how that plays out there. Uh, and Noah yeah. took home a cash payout of $2,400. Good for him. Not too sure. All right. Moving into, let, do, 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 let me see. I'm just trying to see if there's something else I'm missing here that I want to, I want to talk about. Um, okay. Jessica Weiss, FPO takes it down. This is significant. Jessica Weiss has had some pretty good performances this year. Mm -hmm. um, actually, maybe a little bit is interesting. I don't know how you feel. I'll toss it over to you. Generally, how do you feel about Jessica's performance this year compared to other years? Not last year because it was so messed up. If I'm being honest yeah. from my perspective, I feel like she's playing, and if it's a tick or two, I feel like she's playing a little better than her average this year. I want to say I agree with that in the sense of, you know, she's not winning events week in and week out like some of the other ladies are in the FPO division, but we are seeing her name a lot, whether it's on lead card or she's got this smooth little throw in, especially with her sidearms. We're seeing Jessica's name, I think, more this year than we have in years past. And so I'm curious if this win is going to spark something uh, leading forward into the rest of the events throughout the year. But we've definitely I, I would say she's playing above her average throughout the whole year. Yeah, I that's that was my general takeaway too. I feel like I'm seeing yeah. her more, um, hearing her name more. It doesn't mean Agreed. she's finishing out at every event well, but she's doing something that's above her yeah. average just enough to be noticed. So good. She's for her. placing in the top ten more than she's not. So I mean, that's obviously an incredible achievement in and of itself. Uh, some of her biggest takeaways though are like third at the OTB Open, third at Vegas. Uh, fifth at DGPT's Dynamic Discs Open. Oh, excuse me, the Portland Open, sorry. And then the Vintage Open, Silver Series event, she got second. Bowling Green Open, which was just, just an A tier, she got second. 
So she's had a lot of top 10 finishes, uh, definitely playing well throughout the whole season. I agree. Um, so Ellen Widboom, second place, and Lindsay Fish, third place. Um, seven strokes back and eight strokes back. So this was a significant, uh, it's pretty much what you'd call a dominant victory, um, leading yeah. by seven strokes or more. Exactly, so especially at an event like this. I think one last thing, and then we can kind of segue into our next conversation, is really cool fact that both of the winners from these big events, whether it's Clash of the, Can the Canyons or the Minnesota Majestic, is both of the winners won from the chase card. So they made those pushes to come up out of nowhere. And at this point, obviously, we have UDisc Live at one event. We got PDGA Live scoring at another event. So you can actually see how players are doing. But uh, Dan Schlitter was able to come back from the chase card and take down the win after the playoff. And then same thing with Noah. They both came out from the play, uh, chase card and pushed out the win by one stroke. It's uh, it's pretty cool. I think that was the first time that an event of that caliber that's happened to. And I think I was looking at someone posting on Twitter about it. I think these are the first two uh, win from the chase cards at bigger events. Uh, more so talking about the Silver Series event. I think this is the first win of the year at a DGPT Silver Series or Elite Series that has happened from the chase card. All right. <laughs> I agree with everything you're saying. Uh, I, I got just a little bit caught up there. I noticed one of our previous guests was in our chat, and I was like, oh, interesting, Stacy Ronsley. Um, Ooh, there hello. is, yeah. Hey, hello, Stacy. If you're still there, listen, this is a shout out. We talked about our most viewed show ever, right? Live viewers. Mm -hmm. She has a claim to fame on the Nick and Matt show that she can wear proudly if she, if she cares to do so. Most downloaded podcast episode ever right now for Nick and Matt Stacy Ronsley episode. I forget which one that is. It's probably in the 46, seven or somewhere. I was going to say 45, 46, maybe, maybe somewhere in there. Go look it up. Yeah, somewhere right around that. I mean, we had Simon on for like 10 minutes, but he was kind of a surprise guest. So I'm giving all the credit to Stacy there. Blowing. I think she was the one who we promoted for that show, too. As in, like, <laughs> when we post the picture every single week, I'm pretty sure Stacy was the one we had promoted. So yeah. kudos to Stacy. That's, yeah. that's pretty awesome. <laughs> She's got a large following, you know? She just says, yeah. go, go check out the Nick and Matt show. And boom, there yeah. it is. There it is. <clears throat> all right, Nick. So we were doing some talking before, and you brought up an interesting point. If you want to kind of hit on it. And, and by the way, as you do, 10 minutes, uh, James Conrad interview will take place in 10 minutes, everybody. Exactly. Sit tight. 10 minutes. So at 745, I want the chat to absolutely blow up <laughs> Matt and saying it's time for the Conrad interview. Um, right. Something Matt and I were actually talking about earlier today was the big discussion on live disc golf coverage versus post-production. And one of the questions that I asked him, Matt, and I'll ask you again, have you watched any of the post-round production from the World Championships? Yes, but there's a, let me explain, I guess. So the yes is the short answer, but I typically, and this is not due to lack of support. I support production post-production. I just want to get that out of the way. Mm -hmm. I actually am not name dropping, but I support and text Jonathan Gomez fairly often and other post-produce people in the sport. Um, I even do post-production at technically podcast for yeah. the disc golf network. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yep, I support it. It's important, but I don't typically watch it because I invest my time in watching it live. Mm -hmm. So then it's kind of somewhat pointless. Now, you asked if I did. Let me explain why. And this is great for media. Their production has come so far. They now include disc selection. And this is a free advertisement for them. 
at least Jomez mm-hmm. right now. And all of them have included upgrades, but disc selection, like what they're throwing, it pops up on the screen, how fast they're throwing, how far they're throwing. Um, that's pretty incredible. Um, that's the information that people want to know for live. If live gets that, <laughs> then I don't know. It's going to be hard. It's going to be hard for post produce to stay relevant. Yeah, I'll just say it. I know, right? It will be hard, but we're getting close. We are. Get, I have seen some distances on UDisc. So mm-hmm. I will put it back to you. How much post production do you watch? And then we can kind of start our five minutes of like, why do you like that one better than the other? Or yeah. Why do you think yeah. that'll be better than the other? So fortunately, obviously for Worlds, I was actually at the event, and so I didn't really fee- feel the necessity to watch any of the post-round production because I saw everything play out as it was. I do remember watching the front nine of the Jomez first round, and the reason I watched it is because one of the guys came over to our Airbnb and did some filming stuff with Paul, I think for the Paul Macbeth Foundation, but he works for Jomez, came over, did some stuff, and he said this year is going to be the best year Jomez does at Worlds. And so I was curious at like the changes they made throughout the episode, or the uh, front nine, the back nine, whatever. And funny enough, I ended up watching the front nine, and I was actually in it with Brody and Paul. We were throwing on the par five at the four, I think, hole nine. And um, it was just funny. But after that, actually, I didn't end up watching the full coverage at all. Um the only time I think now at this point that I've really been watching post-production is if something incredible happened on like the second or third card, I would watch it. But for the most part this year, I've just been so invested into live. And then afterwards, I don't really feel, I don't know. I don't really feel the need anymore to watch the post-production since I saw it live. And I kind of like those emotions more than I do the commentary from a team that saw pretty much everything happen live as well. Yeah. So is, and we had Jomez on last year. It'd be interesting to have them on again this year when they swing up here through the, mm-hmm. our, our home studio up in Leicester, Massachusetts, home of Maple Hill and a lot of other cool things. Yeah. Um, to ask them again, because we asked them last year, like, hey, what's going to keep you relevant? They said, well, we have a unique market. Like, we are unique. Disc golf is different than other sports. So, like, we don't think that it needs to be one or the other. And they're not wrong. It doesn't need to be one or the other. But mm-hmm. what we experienced at Pro Worlds definitely had me, others, other podcasts, other media people, uh, professionals playing in the sport, athletes, saying, that was an incredible show because everybody at one moment in time, not everybody, 37,000 people at one time saw the same thing happen and were able to share yeah. in that. And this was the first moment, and I shared this on my social media this week. This was the first moment I remember, Nick, where it was almost like any other sport where I would go on social media and that's all that was being talked about in that moment. And everybody was sharing that collectively at the same time. We have not had that in disc golf yet. In my opinion, do you remember a time or is this the first for you as well? No, it's, it's a hundred percent a first for me in the sense of even looking at social media right now, every single day, I do see a different camera angle or, you know, a different reshare of the post of James's shot. James's finish at worlds. And it's been awesome. I've had people, you know, random people who I either grew up with or people that I used to work with. And they've sent me videos on all the crazy things that are happening. Someone sent me a video actually of, uh, Ezra Aderhold throwing at hole 16. It hits the basket, almost aces it, but then rolls up B and they're like, Oh my gosh, this is the worst thing that I feel like could happen in disc golf. And you know, it's been really, really fun to watch and really, really fun to be a part of that kind of like 
transition into the live disc golf and how that should be the priority, I think, personally. <laughs> we we were not going to talk on this topic for longer than five more minutes from here on out. So sit tight, everybody. We're getting ready to buckle down for the James Conrad interview. But I have people in the chat right now, and I guarantee you there's people driving around in their cars saying, Matt, we don't even watch the Nick and Matt show live. Like, we do it in our car hey. when we're driving around, yep. and we do it when we have time. There's comments, and I'm not going to consider them trolls. I'm not, just not going to call them out by name, saying, you must not have a life if you watch live. Now, they aren't getting me amped up because they don't know my life. <laughs> and yeah. it's like, it's a great life. And I'm actually more busy than, it's incredible. So here's what I want to say yeah. to that, though. Here's what I want to say to that, because I actually see their perspective. I'm guessing that they're prioritizing watching every single shot and not missing one little detail. Now, you might think, well, Matt, don't you want to do that? Yes, but I can generally look at stats and say, oh, that it looks interesting. I can go find that and watch how it played out, maybe post after. But I mm -hmm. want to consume the moment live, like what's important. And so at World Championships, if I wasn't able to watch every round, I, I may or may not have went back. It depends if there was something compelling I want to go back and check, but I can assure you this. If I didn't sit down for eight hours on the final day, I was going to catch the last hour. I'm going to prioritize the last mm -hmm. hour live because that is the last quarter of the Super Bowl. That is when it's all going down. I can at least take that in live and then I can go back and post. Now, everybody has different feelings about how they want to consume it. But live was so good that I would take a three or four hour afternoon during the final round to sit down and watch the whole thing just like people yeah. do for the nfl super bowl or anything else it happens uh, actually weekly games baseball everybody it's it's a thing i understand it's not for everybody mm -hmm. um nick if you were to consume live do you catch the whole thing or are you okay just catching a portion of it live because that's what matters to you no i mean for the most part i've been playing so many tournaments this year that majority of the time that i'm watching the live coverage is as i'm driving home and i have it playing through my car and I'm mostly listening to it, but I'm kind of like catching a few shots here and there, maybe at the red lights or stuff like that. Um, but yeah, same thing though. If I have the time to actually be able to sit down and enjoy live disc golf, I prefer, I, I love watching disc golf and I love watching friends of mine compete at a high level. And so I thoroughly enjoy sitting down and trying to watch shot by shot. I mean, granted, I'm going to miss a few shots, whether I'm, you know, checking Facebook or checking Instagram, something like that. But for the most part, I have no issue spending my Saturday or Sunday sitting down for four hours watching live disc golf. To me, that's honestly, there's plenty of other things in the world that I would love to do as well. But while the disc golf season's going, I do enjoy watching live disc golf. And for what it's worth, sit around. I can actually yeah. work on my computer and have live going. So like I can yeah. actually consume it like while I'm working. We don't all have jobs like that. I'm not suggesting that. Yeah. If I, and even if I can't watch it, I'm checking scores religiously. Like, I mean, I, I'm technically, I'm not, I've never been one of those people to where like uh, movies are different, but obviously, but like with sports, if spoilers aren't really a thing when it comes to disc golf and sports in general, because you can watch it live, like you can go online and check out the score on the ESPN app or the UDISC app or the PDJ live scoring app, any one of those. And so for me personally, like I, I'm looking at the score. If I'm not watching the event, I'm looking to see how the players are doing at the event. Yeah. And I'm just going to say this as I wrap up. 
I did catch the moment when Joe, and I did go check this out, when Jomez released the final round. I wanted to see how it went down on Jomez production because mm-hmm. there's no doubt about it. It looks awesome. Yeah. Incredible. I'm not knocking it. It's incredible. They do a fantastic job. I support them as well. Um, but there's nothing quite like knowing that they already knew what happened and they're all acting so surprised. So like, exactly. it's not the live moment. They do a good job at it, but it's just not yeah. the same. And exactly. Nick, you can't see on this side, but I do want to give a shout out. We don't do this often, but we did have a super chat come in um, from over in Europe. Uh, I believe actually Norway, Bjorn Christopher Nordness. I'm giving a full shout out mm-hmm. here. He says post-produced is always going to be good with him in regards of time because of the time difference. Yep. Imagine trying to watch live. It's like 2 a.m. Yeah. and like, no, it's not happening. I don't. I don't think I'd ever say get rid of post-production completely. Uh, I do enjoy what the post-production people do. They do incredible things for our sport. And, and it is nice if I really do want to sit down and watch live disc or uh, post-production disc golf that I can go on and watch a front nine and back nine of the event. It, it really is an awesome thing when most of the sports, you're literally only watching the highlights. Um, so it is cool to see shot by shot what's going down. But I think a main focus of ours nowadays should be how do we make live disc golf the best kind of disc golf to watch? Yeah, I agree. And as we move here into the James Conrad interview, I do want to apologize for the clearing of my throat. It is something that I have dealt with my whole life and it is flaring up right now. So I'm going to deal with that. Uh, As we get into the James Conrad interview, I do want to shout out Nick was not able to make this interview. We had to schedule it around James's uh, schedule. We made it work. You guys are going to enjoy this. Some really interesting insights. Let's take it away. No further ado, James Conrad, everybody. All right, everybody. Welcome to the show, James Conrad. Uh, where are we calling you from? Hey, Matt. Thanks for having me on. I'm actually up in Minnesota right now, Minneapolis area. Uh, I'll be playing at the Majestic this weekend. I love BRP, so I'm looking forward to it. I'm um, taking a pretty easy week, though, honestly, not getting in a ton of practice or anything. Just, yeah, just trying to have fun up here. Awesome. What's the weather like up there in Minnesota right now? I know like all over the country, there's like heat records and Utah was hot. What's Minnesota like? I didn't see the actual temperature, but it it was warm. It wasn't as hot, hot as it was out in Utah, but it was the first humidity I felt in a while. It was definitely a little sweaty out there, but it felt great. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. I mean, heat, we play a game on the show sometimes called like, which would you rather like snow uh like um rain or really windy conditions heat we've never put on the list but i can imagine really hot temperatures uh don't make for a good time so good job out there utah speaking of utah and world championships congratulations um that's thank you yeah totally cool can i ask leading into worlds uh, uh, on a one a scale of one to ten how comfortable were you with your discs and your game going into worlds I feel like I was definitely up there. Um, Maybe saying 10 out of 10 is pretty extreme, but I'd say I was at least a nine. I I got to Utah pretty early. I think I was there about the 8th of June. So, you know, 12, 13 days, 14 days before world started. And that gave me plenty of time to get used to the, the weather out there, like the heat and it gave me plenty of time to get used to the altitude. Um, I actually kind of like how my discs fly just in general at, at a little higher elevation. I feel like I don't have to worry about overturning things. Um, but yeah, definitely something that takes a little getting used to. And then 
my putt doesn't seem to be too much affected by the elevation. I was able to just kind of hit them hard and, and trust that they would they'd go in. Yeah, and I've never performed in a professional world championship. I had an opportunity in 2011 to play Am Worlds, and that was pretty cool for me. Uh, going into pro world, and and by the way, I didn't feel like I was had the chance to win it. I have to okay. believe. I have to believe at your skill, your quality, the length of time you've played in disc golf, you had a feeling going into the world championships, and you probably do most years. Was there something different this year? where you were like, this is my year? Did you have any different feelings going into this Worlds than previous Worlds? It's hard for me to remember. It had been about two years since we actually played a Worlds, but uh, yeah, I definitely felt felt confident. You know, I was I was happy with where my game was. I've had some good performances through, through May and June, a couple that were a little bit off, but even my off tournaments or off rounds, it felt like I was pretty much doing everything right. I just wasn't maybe quite scoring as well as some of the people out there, you know, just a, a little mistake here that, that cost me double or that kind of thing. So overall, my game was feeling great going in. And I feel like especially getting to Utah as early as I did, um, I felt felt comfortable with the environment. I felt really comfortable on the courses. I, I definitely like my chances. Yeah, and like I said, you have to believe, I, I don't want to classify it, all of the top 20 is the top 20, but you have to believe everyone there going in is thinking I've got a chance and, and maybe most of the, you know, top 50 even, but it's exciting to hear how, right. how strong you are feeling going into that. You're a, I say this from my perspective and I think probably a lot of our viewers and listeners probably feel similarly. You're I'll say it, you're an interesting guy and that is compelling to watch. <laughs> okay. And, and what I mean by that is, you have some players who just are very, you know, forward with their emotions and large, right? And then you have some right. who are quieter. And honestly, I put you in the same emotional um, strength as like a Paul Macbeth. I do. I see like you guys are very composed. You tend to be on the quieter side. And maybe there's something, Calvin Heimberg, <laughs> we can put you, okay, yeah. <laughs> you're in good company. You're in good company. And you were trading blow for blow throughout the whole final round. Um, a lot of birdies going down. You're keeping up. You go into the last hole. You drive on 18. I'm just ramping it up here at the very end. And you were frustrated off the tee pad. Do you feel like, first of all, this is a two-part question. Do you feel like it takes luck to get through those trees off of hole 18's drive? And then generally, after your frustration with that drive, what were you saying to yourself? To answer the first part, I, I don't think that that tee shot requires luck. I think my specific throw um, could have used some luck to, to get through. It didn't get through, but I, I missed the big gap on the hole. Um, I feel like it, I wouldn't even say it was particularly lucky that it didn't kick OB, but um, it, it was a little ways from the OB lines. But yeah, luck is, is a weird expression in, in disc golf. You know, it's there's constantly like things that could have gone a little bit differently this way or a little bit differently that way. And I think over the course of an entire event, especially one as long as, as worlds that, you know, it's mostly going to balance out. Like some people may have a luckier event or, or not, but you could throw a perfect tee shot on 18 and get an unlucky skip and go OB, you know, it's yeah, there's always a bit of give and take there. And 
I appreciate what you're saying that you you feel I'm very like composed or I don't let the emotions get the best of me on the course. I I think everyone that plays disc golf definitely feels frustration at times and I'm no different. I may not shout out loud, but I may mutter something to myself under my breath as I'm putting my disc away or like I definitely feel like I get angry sometimes or frustrated, but I try to let those moments um I try to let those moments like maybe give myself five seconds to feel that way and then try to try to push it away and, and try to focus more forward, not not so much on what just happened or what went wrong or anything like that. And it's, it's nice to hear that from the from an outside perspective, you know, you don't see see some of these little mental battles that go on. Um, I'm not sure if I quite got to the second part of that question. Oh, you're asking what what I was frustrated about after my tee shot on yeah, 18. Yeah, ob obviously hitting a tree, but I think maybe there's something beyond that. I'm just curious if we can have insight to what that was. Yeah, I think I put really, really high expectations on myself at that point. So I was one, a bit disappointed that I did not execute the tee shot as well as I wanted. Um, you have to, you know, I have to try really, really hard to, to throw a shot, especially in a moment like that. And then Part of that is like believing in yourself and expecting yourself to do it to do it right and then to not do it right hurts more you know if i was more nonchalant and just like oh yeah i'm gonna try to do this and i made a mistake it wouldn't feel um wouldn't feel as bad it wouldn't feel as frust frustrating so to to try as hard as you can on something and then make a mistake i feel like is where that frustration is really rooted but beyond that um i was definitely a bit frustrated about uh, the tee pad on hole 18, there's a pretty large handful of the holes have tee pads that I was not crazy about, whether they're a bit elevated, like on hole 18. And even the, the way that that hole, the way the gap is shaped and the way the tee pad are shaped, just don't quite work in my mind. Um, like if that was a flat tee pad, I think I would have started not only about like 10 feet farther away from the front, but I also would have started probably about 10 to 15 feet to the right of where I was forced to start. Um, so I, I think I had a moment where I was feeling frustrated that my chances at a world's title may have come down to a, a tee pad that I wasn't crazy about, but I gave myself a few seconds to feel that way and then tried to forget about it and go see how my lie looked. Yeah. And there's something to be learned from our perspective, watching you. And I hope people hearing this newer players and those who are striving to become better. Yeah. Take, take a little bit, <laughs> process it and then move on from it. Cause that's all you can do. But um, yeah, T pads there, there was interesting conversations on that, but as you mentioned as well, just the general throwing your disc, not the way you want it. And you have such a high expectation for yourself. Um, let's ramp through your approach shot um do you feel like on your approach shot you threw it a little softer than you wanted to this is all in hindsight did it come out of your hand did you say that's yeah, a perfect place where i wanted to put it or how'd you feel about your approach referring to my second shot yeah sorry um, not your approach your, your pitch out yeah from near the water okay i it's it's a quite small landing zone like even that layup especially when you're not shooting down the lane when you're shooting like towards the towards the ob it's a pretty tiny landing zone and really my only objective on that throw was to not throw it out of bounds 
You know, if I if I throw my second out of bounds, I have zero percent chance of making a three. Um, if I throw my shot inbounds and hopefully at least have a, a decent look at the basket, I have a chance at three. So I was happy with my shot. I didn't. I had to throw through a little gap and I had a, a standstill stance, and which is pretty clearly not not my favorite kind of stance. But um, yeah, I didn't want to push that push that OB line too too much. So I was happy with where where it landed. Are you generally sick yet of people asking you about how this whole played out? Or are you still ready for more? Because I got a few more questions. I can handle a few more. <laughs> okay, awesome. And and actually, this is just me speculating. And I know people didn't come to hear my opinion. They came to hear yours. But that's kind of what it played out in my head. I said, you'd rather a chance than push it too far. And that's exactly what you just relayed out. Now, leading to yeah. that, your mindset then was, what your, or tell me, was your mindset then I have to get a three. I have to get a three. Or were you at all in your mind saying, well, at least a four and maybe something goes wrong for Paul? Like, what was your mindset? It, it's kind of hard to put it directly in words. You know, it's there's an element of match play to it when it, it comes down to two people at the end. So, um, yeah, so it's... I'd say I, I felt like I needed a three if I wanted a chance, you know, I was, I wasn't resigned to like playing for a second. I would, I knew I had a, at least a few strokes to spare on second. So I wasn't too worried about like worst case at that point. And um, yeah, I had watched the FPO battle earlier in the day and obviously cat threw an amazing shot and that, that put some pressure on page and then page wasn't quite able to execute down the stretch and so in the back of my mind, I thought there was a, a possibility, you know, that, that Paul could make an unforced error, if you will, and that maybe, um, yeah, that maybe a four would be good enough to tie, but I, I felt that to be extremely unlikely, and I felt like the only way I had a chance was to to pitch out and then and throw it in. <laughs> so it's it's interesting doing these interviews following such a big media release meaning like it's going to be if not already the most viewed disc golf shot ever which by the way congratulations for that so thank you leading to that point then so we've got your mental game you're getting there you know you have to give yourself a shot you don't want to count on paul messing up you saw it happen earlier with the fpo which that's a whole nother story um and so this question is going to sound pretty crazy after everything i just heard you say it's going to sound crazy to ask this but were you literally trying and focusing on throwing the disc in the basket? Like, I I have to do this, and that's literally my focus right now is that basket, just like a large putt. Like, that's all you're thinking about. You're not thinking about in a situation like, oh, there's water beyond or whatever. Like, you're like, I just have to hit it. Were you thinking that from 247 feet out, or were you thinking, give it a chance, I'm just going to generally throw it there. You know what I mean? I guess I'm trying to say, was that your focus point? Like, I have to throw it in. Here we go. Yeah, it, it absolutely was. I, I think I was probably focusing on that even before I actually approached my lie. You know, after my layup shot, I was just, you know, trying to trying to visualize and trying to believe that I could make my next shot. And it, it still feels slightly unreal that, you know, it that it played out like it did, that I was able to make that shot. Um, it's, yeah, it's pretty rare to, like, it's one thing to try to ace, but it's, it's, 
I've almost never felt it where it's like, okay, I have to ace this or I have to throw this in if, if I want a chance and um, for it just to, to play out that way and then to, um, yeah, to aim, aim at it and picture the whole flight in my head and pick my starting point, you know, um, pick how I wanted to throw it and let it go and just to watch it happen just, just how I wanted was really special, you know, really amazing. I can't tell a lie. I got goosebumps in the shivers. Just like, <laughs> it, is it that epic to you even in this moment? I, I know it happened to you and you've thought about it and you're the person who did it. Is it still epic? Like you just said, like I did what I had to do. <laughs> like you still feeling it? Yeah, definitely. It's, it's un, uh, an unusual feeling, you know, it's not, not normal. It's like, <laughs> Yeah, it, it's hard to explain, but it, it feels really nice. It's um, it almost feels like, almost feels a little bit lucky. But like I said earlier, luck's a weird word. Like it's, it's not a high percentage shot, but for it to come down to that shot and for me to be able to make it, it's just just amazing. Felt like it. It was just my day, you know. Golf is funny like that. Yeah, uh, on our previous show, so we did a show right after Worlds. And Nick and I are talking through it. And I think the word luck came up, fluke came up, miracle came up, um, <laughs> skillful shot came up. We didn't know exactly how to describe it, but I think it could be a mixture of everything. But the fact of the matter is you had to do it. You had the skill to do it and you executed it and it happened. Can I ask this question? Could you yeah. do it? Could you do it again if you had to? And I'm not saying, you know, give a hundred shots. I'm saying, let's go back. Another world championship. You think it would happen again or is this a once in a lifetime uh, it's hard to say um i've tried to tried to think about it in the terms of like if i had a stack of envies and was standing in that spot like how many could i make out of out of 20 or 50 and yeah i feel like i could make one or a couple maybe like maybe one out of 20 or one or two out of 50 but um it's impossible to rec replicate like the outside of just me, you know, just having that much focus on me and that many people like hoping that I could make that shot and being like, wow, he has to make this. And if anyone could do it, maybe James could. And those kind of things that like, I feel like um, the energy from, from that many people watching and that many, that many people's focus, like could kind of add to my own focus in the moment. And so it's, it's hard to, hard to say if that is possible to, to, to replicate. I think it's impossible to say it, it's and you, I don't think you can replicate it. There might be another shot, another time, another opportunity to do something special, but that moment I think is standalone by itself forever. So good, good job <laughs> there. Of course. Um, Thank you. Can I ask moving a little bit away from maybe the, the world championship specifically, or that shot is where does your determination and your don't give up attitude? Cause that, I mean, you didn't count yourself out and that's impressive. I can see others hanging their head possibly in that situation. Um, where do you get that, that attitude from uh, determination and don't give up? That's a tough one. I think it, it may, may just come from my love of competition. You know, I, I like games. I like competitions, obviously sports and um, yeah, it's, I feel like part of being a, a good sport is to, you know, keep trying, like even if it's a losing battle, not, not just to give up and to, to give it everything you have. And my, my battle out there 
on Saturday was wasn't a losing battle. You know, it may have looked grim for a moment, but even to to give it everything I have and and come up one stroke short of Paul, I would have been pretty honored with that result too. And so yeah, just wanted to to do as well as I could. Yeah, and I'm hoping. As a world champion, you get a lot of opportunities to speak. Even even now, you know, we're doing interviews here and you're getting other opportunities. I worked a lot with juniors for quite a few years in disc golf. And that message you just said, like, we need to clip it out and let all the juniors, we, we need all the juniors to listen to that. Parents, show this to your kids. You, you nice. go, yeah, you go your hardest. You come up one stroke short. I heard James just say, it would have been an honor. <laughs> like you do your best, you give it all, don't give up. And you, you never know what's going to happen. Um, that's, that's excellent. Um, can I ask, what does it mean to win a world championship in the fashion that you did against arguably the most clutch player of all time, Paul Macbeth? Like do those things correlate at all to you to ramp, ramp the excitement up even more? Yeah, yeah, it definitely does. It, I think it makes me feel, <clears throat> excuse me, it makes me feel a little bit more proud of, of winning, you know, to have it, to have it come right down to the end like that. And to, um, like you said, like you were just saying, to have not given up and not just accepted defeat and to continue trying and then to make a spectacular shot is, you know, it makes it so much more memorable for everyone watching and more memorable for me. I mean, not like it would be forgettable to win the worlds in any fashion, but yeah, just, just to feel that much energy from that many people at once was just so spectacular. Like I think even more than the win, I'll remember just the feeling of that many people, like just kind of going wild, you know, just like just being that excited. That was incredibly special. There's the goosebumps again. Like, I have to I have to say collectively the live disc golf media shout out to the disc golf network this is a large turning point for the sport where for the first time that I can remember and I I don't know maybe you have a different thought here everybody that was watching live which was 37,000 people plus everybody who was there shared a collective moment like at the same time and it's just right. mind blowing and and you were the and you were the focus and your shot flying through the air as you've said. I think how did you summarize it? I think in a, an Instagram post, you said it was the collective mindset. Do you want to just break that just really quickly? What what did you say there? If you remember, uh, I can't remember the exactly what I said, but I, you know I phrased that I was able to draw on like the focus and the the hopes and like the belief of of everyone there present watching to to really draw my, my focus in to like a maximum level, I think is something along the lines of what I said. And I, I thought my good friend, Nate Perkins said it well too. He kind of compared it to like a moment of collective consciousness where, you know, every, every person there pretty much forgot about their, their self and they were just entirely in the moment and they were, yeah, just like experiencing a, like that moment of apprehension or that, that moment of suspense, like as I was lining it up and everything got so quiet. And then as I let it fly, you know, it's still just that was kind of coming to a peak. And then the fact that I was able to make it just everyone just boom, like exploded. It was really cool. 
Yeah, it's um actually kind of mind blowing, warping, whatever you want to say. You share you're sharing a moment in sports history that actually some are arguing to be the greatest, most clutch play in all sports. Does that overwhelm you at all? Yeah, it it does. It, um, almost leaves me speechless. You know, it's like so many people have been playing sports for so long, and to to be in the even in that conversation, even if it, you know, in some people's mind isn't, or in other people's mind it is, just to to have been able to you know, create such a magical moment is, is really special. Yeah. All right. So has that shot ensured that you will never incorporate a forehand into your game or maybe you uh, like, is, <laughs> is that like secured it sealed the deal? You're like, I don't need it. Uh, even before it, I didn't really feel like I needed it. You know, I'm, I'm happy to try to throw one on a scramble shot and I just love the, the turnover so much more than I, I love the hyzer shot and, most of the time when people bring out the forehand, it's so that they can throw a hyzer. And to me, the turnover is just so, so much more fun to throw. And I feel like it, it's got a little, um, it, it might be a little easier to make mistakes, but it's a little bit more precise when you're dialed in with it. You know, you can get the disc to land exactly how you want it or to, to shape a little bit differently. But I'd say the only time I really miss or wish that I had like a good power forehand is when the wind is really picking up. Like if there's a strong like headwind or especially right to left wind, that's when like a backhand left to right shot gets really difficult. And when a, you know, a, a forehand hyzer can just kind of fight and eat up that wind and hold pretty straight. I'd say that's the, the only time I, I feel like I might maybe at a disadvantage without throwing that power forehand. Yeah, and you're the one who can speak about it. I just have to sit here and nod my head like <laughs> I, I have nothing to say to that. Like it's you're not wrong though. I agree a million percent. It is a much more fun shot. It's more beautiful to watch as well. Um so is disc golf what you're going to be doing until you retire? Have you thought about that? Like is this is disc golf your life from here on until you're done? Yeah, I think it is. Um we'll see. As far as competing goes, I think, you know, I'm not sick of it at all yet. And I think I can definitely compete for another, you know, at least another 10 years if I, if I feel the desire to, to keep, keep on tour and to, to keep, you know, putting all my focus towards this. But even if that um, starts to shift, I certainly imagine that it will still be disc golf related, whether that's, um, yeah, owning a, a course like a disc golf country club kind of thing, or um, yeah, possibly probably not event management, but you know, some something to do with disc golf events. I think could be an interesting branch to take off of competing, and I think there'll be pretty much whatever doors open that that I'd like to go through to continue um, basing my life around disc golf. I just love it so. I don't see myself doing anything else. That's awesome. You talked about the country club and my brain immediately went to like an alliteration. I'm like Conrad's country club. We'll just call it the three C's. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's excellent. I don't know you very well. I've seen you around. You came up, you won at the MVP open and Lester Maple Hill is my home course. Um, right. I'm looking forward to you coming back and trying again. Um, before we move totally off, we're very close to wrapping up here. 
There's a story in the Bible about a guy who had superhuman strength in connection with his long hair. His name was Samson. When someone tricked him and his hair was cut, he lost his strength. Is there any connection to your long hair in that shot going in? Oh, I, I don't think so, but that's a, that's a funny little story. Um, yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure. I don't really have a good reason why, why I like to keep my hair long, but since I stopped cutting it when I was about 18, I haven't really looked back. I just, just enjoy it. Yeah. That, <laughs> I was like, do you like how creative I got there? <laughs> All right. Um, I've generally come to the end of my disc golf questions, but I think it'd be remiss not to talk just a little bit about juggling and unicycling. I, I've, nice. I've heard a little bit about it. Um, can I ask how many objects can you juggle at one time? I've got a pretty good five ball cascade. Um, I've, I could get three going in, in one hand, but a six ball is kind of just doing three balls in each hand. It's not really a crossing pattern. Um, I think I could, I could probably qualify a six ball, which is like doing 12 catches basically, but I, I definitely can't roll with it. Like I can with the five ball cascade. <laughs> for those of the, for those of you who are listening or, or, you know, post or you're watching live or whatever it is, <laughs> he's using words like cascade. Like this guy's a juggler. <laughs> like he, he knows the terminology. So my brother and I, we enjoyed juggling uh, growing up as well. And we enjoyed, and I'm sure you've done it juggling back and forth with somebody, uh, even if it's just yeah, a simple definitely. five ball or something. And so Juggling, is that something you've done for a long time since you were a kid, or when did you pick up juggling? Yeah, I definitely learned as a kid, and I feel like I got, rather than just, like, I know how to juggle, I think when I started to actually kind of get into juggling was in high school, and that's when I started putting in some good amount of hours practicing, you know, even if I was just, like, watching TV, but standing behind the couch and, and kind of practicing juggling instead of just sitting on the couch and, and watching TV, just like practicing like that, you know, I wasn't, I was never like dedicated to it. Like, okay, I'm going to go to the gym and practice my juggling, you know, nothing like that, but it was, and that's kind of a cyclical thing. Like I, you'll pick them up and be like, Oh yeah, this is fun. I remember why I was, I used to do this and maybe have a month or two months where you're pretty diligent with practice, but then it might be, might be four or six months where you barely touch them. And I'm kind of in one of those four to six months where I'm not, haven't really touched them much right now, but I'm sure before long, I'll, I'll get back in the, in the swing of it and, and play with them more. Isn't that interesting how things work? I, I, everybody has those things in their life where, like you said, cyclical, like the idea of like, you really enjoy it. It takes a break. It comes back and you remember how much you loved it. <laughs> That's excellent. Yeah. Um, so you haven't done it in a while, but I think also you've unicycled. If that's the right way to say that you can ride a unicycle <laughs> or you unicycle. I don't know. Uh, how many, <laughs> how many objects can you juggle while you ride the unicycle? <laughs> I can definitely, definitely do three. I, I haven't tried too many more than that. Um, I haven't, I haven't gone on a unicycle often at all in the last like 10 years or so is another thing that I got into in high school and through college, like through my first couple of years at college, I, I did quite a bit of unicycling, but since then that one, that one hasn't really cycled back around as often. 
I think <laughs> hey, I might be able no, to no get pun, five right? balls going. No, no pun. What's that? That, that one no hasn't pun. cycled. Yeah, that, that hasn't cycled, cycled around. back around. <laughs> <laughs> that hasn't unicycled back around. <laughs> um, so what's the? I may cra- be able to get five going on wow. the unicycle if I if I tried for a week, maybe. I don't know. That's pretty good, James. I've I never put in as much effort as you have. I can definitely do three, you know. And what's it called, James? When you do the the their outside juggle, so like you can juggle inside three, and then you can juggle right. out. The, is there a name for that? Yeah, that would be a reverse cascade. Ooh, I, <laughs> you're making me excited. I can do a reverse cascade <laughs> with three balls. Um, and then four is just I never put in the time. Like you said, it's two in each hand, and I just kind of was like, yeah, right. but. Um, what's the craziest object you've juggled? Uh, clubs, knives, like wh- what do you do? Bowling balls? I don't even know. What's the craziest thing? I've juggled torches a couple times. Um, definitely the most like dangerous or, or craziest, but that that oh, that fuel doesn't really burn too hot, so it's it's not as dangerous as it looks. But I, I never wanted to catch like my hair or beard or anything on fire. <laughs> I think that'd be pretty bad. So I, I got rid of those. Felt like it didn't didn't need to be something I practiced. It would be bad. It'd be very exciting to watch until you realized it wasn't <laughs> on purpose. Um, <laughs> um, yeah. So really, I, I mean, I think we've made it to the end. Is there anything we missed that you felt is relevant to like what's going on in your life right now that like people would want to hear about? We've got a large audience who would be interested if you have anything. If not, that's fine too. Just wanted to give a shout out to everyone out there that's been cheering for me and, and reaching out on, on social media and everything. I'm sure I haven't gotten back to most of you. It's been a little bit overwhelming, but it's just a really nice feeling to feel so much love from all y'all. So thanks to, to each and every one of you. And thanks to everyone that's that's bought some JC merch. I think our supplies might be getting a little low, but that means a lot of y'all have been buying them. So thanks to that as well. And I guess I thought up one more. You just mentioned mentioned your you know your brand there, JC. First of all, you have a lot of interesting nicknames coming out. To besides <laughs> nicknames for yourself, you don't usually pick them. Someone picks them for you. But how about right. the same thing for we'll call it the shot? Like, is there a favorite name for that that you've heard yet that you kind of like? And you say, yeah, that works. I think I I like um, just the shot. I'm not super crazy about like the holy shot um, direction. Some people have been going with it. I, I kind of get get why they why people's minds went that direction, but not something I'm probably going to promote myself. Uh, I also, yeah, I saw some people mention like Conrad Corner just to kind of call the end of the mm. the course that, and mm. I, that one was pretty sweet. I thought. Yeah, I, I loved that idea as well. Um placing a marker or something, let people throw the shot. I know it's a temporary course, but still it could be a moment and a time and place to try to, to check that out. That's excellent. Well, James, I appreciate so much the time that you've given to us. You are incredibly, I'm sure, busy. You're, you're lining up, you know, ESPN. Inter- I'm sure all these, they're coming for you. <laughs> but um, with all that being said, thank you again for your time and uh, have a great evening. Thanks, Matt. See all, ya. All right, man. Bye. All right, everybody, that was an awesome interview. Nick, because you were not there for the interview, yeah. go ahead and give me your general reaction to that. There was a lot in there. It, did anything stand out to you specifically? What do you think? 
Uh, yeah, obviously I was not there at the interview. Um, so I wanted to take some notes while you were actually giving him all the questions. So I wrote some down as we were interviewing or as you were interviewing him. Uh, oh, one of the things that I really, really, huh? sorry to interrupt you real quick, yep. real quick. As you get into that, everybody do not leave exclusive announcement right now. We just lined up Paige Pierce. She'll be on the show, uh, soon. I'll say it that way. All right, Nick. Uh, so go share it out there, everybody. Let people know Paige Pierce is coming on to talk okay. about her performance at Worlds. All right, Nick, what did you think about this interview? Uh, I really liked it. It was awesome to listen to. I'm going to look down actually at the notes that I made right now. But um, one of the things about James Conrad that really actually has always stood out to me is that he keeps his emotions in check. Um, he's obviously, he's got that little Conrad, uh, what do you call it? Kind of like the way he jumps up and down. I can't think of the word right now. Um, like prances around kind of thing. He's got that like Conrad prance whenever he makes a big jump putt or anything like that. And he's always kind of like what seems like a happy guy. Uh, and same thing, like he didn't really let his frustration show on that tee shot going into hole 18. Um, and especially he never let it get away from his head that, you know, he could still win the world championships. Even though he hit that tree, he can still win. And I think that's one incredible way to actually keep your emotions in check. Um, one big thing that I listened to during the interview was his frustration about the tee pads. I think that's, you know, even now we're talking about it from the world champion himself. There were frustrations about the actual tee pads uh, at both courses specifically. Like, Hold on one second, um, Nick. Um, yep. Hold on one second here. I think we can probably hear you again, Nick, if you go for it. Okay, cool. All right. I'll try to finish it up quick and we can get, no, you're good. You're good. On. You're good. All right. So uh, obviously he knew in his mindset he had to throw it in. Um, so that was pretty cool. It was cool to see him kind of like will that final shot of just in the sense of, you know, like he was saying, it's hard to get an ace. And at this moment, getting that kind of like fairway is like he did. Um, just being able to hit that shot when he did it was just absolutely insane. Um, I really liked actually how long it took him to answer your questions, Matt. Like he really had to think about the answers. And I thought that was pretty genuine of like, he didn't want to say not necessarily the wrong thing, but he really wanted to make sure that he dissected the question and then went and answered it. I thought that was pretty cool on his part. Um, it definitely, he had said it had that extra energy winning against Paul, but especially being in front of all those people and just everyone was kind of just in the moment uh, watching that shot and everyone was just present at that moment. Um, and then, you know, the, all the different kind of like shot names, nicknames and everything like that. But I did like how we talked about, or we talked about, I should say you and other people have said kind of like building a tee pad in that spot, calling it Conrad's corner. I thought that was actually really, really cool. But for the most part, incredible interview, uh, incredibly down to earth guy. And I like how he sees his future in disc golf, whether it's being a player for the next 10 years or eventually owning kind of like a country club style disc golf course. And What's funny enough is I actually just played a tournament at his dad's home course. Um, I would say more than likely the course that James grew up playing. So uh, definitely a very, very fun interview to listen to. Yeah, totally enjoyable. James Conrad stood out for a lot of reasons in that interview. Um, and it was a true honor to be able to interview him after his performance at Worlds, the way that he performed. <clears throat> um, it's interesting trying to handpick questions out to ask somebody in these situations. It's not like I'm a professional who's trained in this and I've worked really hard to be able to hopefully provide you guys entertainment. Um, and with all of that being said, we are at this point in the show where we were able to line up. Yes, we were able to line up. Um, her name is Paige Pierce. Let's go ahead and bring her in the show. Uh, welcome to the show, Paige. This is your second time on our show. How are you doing? 
Yeah, second time in very recent weeks. So thanks for having me back. It seems like very recent weeks and time does fly, but I just looked and it says last time we Skyped was two months ago. Does that seem right? Oh, really? U.S. Women's. No. Time does fly. Time U.S. Flies. Women's. When was U.S. Women's? <laughs> yeah, about two months ago, I guess. All right, good. It, it does fly, but That's it feels wild. like but it feels like much sooner, Paige. We're glad to have yeah. you back on. Thank you so much for coming on, ladies and gentlemen. She's flying and traveling the world. She gets off her flight, says, "I can do it." She's being chauffeured. She's not driving right now. She's not driving. <laughs> so no, we got Bob. Bob just picked me up from the airport. What up, Bob? <laughs> All right, Bob Julio. <clears throat> Discraft, everybody. Um, so let's get right into it. We don't want to waste your time, but we also appreciate it. We want to ask some questions. You're so generous to come on here. Uh, let's jump right to the world's performance. Uh, going into the event, you demonstrated great confidence and a true competitor spirit. Um, can you just, have you thought about how did going into this world championship differ for you from other world championships that you've gone into? Was there a different feeling? For instance, the whole topic of six time or their media is much bigger or your life. You've talked about mental struggles this year. Was there anything different going into this world than others? Yeah, I would say so. I mean, just the pure, um, you know, like internal stressor of, of trying to accomplish one of my longest term goals. You know, ever since I won my third world title, fourth world title, I knew that number six was going to be a big one for me to even have an opportunity to uh, be on that stage and to try to come out with that. So, you know, that was something that I've been, you know, looking forward to and working forward to for the last few years. So to finally be on that stage where it was an opportunity that could have come true um, was definitely something that was a bigger pressure. And, uh, you know, I think you, Bob can test him a testament to this but i don't want to put words in your mouth but funny that you're here <laughs> um you know it's something where i feel like i've lined myself up with companies that don't really care about my performance at this point so it was uh, a relief to not have the the external pressure of like what my sponsors want for me what my parents want for me uh what the fans want it was mostly just on me and in previous years I had felt those external pressures of like, okay, you know, I'm just getting in with Discraft, uh, or I'm just switching sponsors. I'm, tr you know, stuff like that, or, uh, you know, just lots of external things come in. So I think that this year was a lot of that was gone, and it was just really me and what I wanted and what my long-term goals were, and they were right there, ready for the take-in. Yeah, and um. I, I want to say like, it seemed like this year was bigger for everybody. And so I just wanted to get your insight on that. If you had to grade your performance in a vacuum, this is in a vacuum though. Like I'm not talking about against other competitors out there. Okay. So yeah, yeah, yeah. just, just generally your performance, how would you grade it? How would you grade it yourself? Um, you know, starting off the first two rounds, shooting thousand rated right the first two rounds, I would have given myself, you know, uh, what are we saying? Like zero to a hundred. Sure, <laughs> sure, zero <Okay>. to hundred. <laughs> um, I would say the first two rounds, I was feeling like a ninety-five to ninety-nine, and then uh, you know that third round coming out at the fort, I felt, um, regardless of what my score was, uh, comparatively to the field, 
Um, I know that after that round, I was still tied for first, but uh, when I went home that night, it wasn't my disappointments, my frustrations, none of that was towards where I stood in the competition. It was towards my performance. Um, and that round three, I would have given myself probably about a 50, something like that. Um, I, I believe it was a 945 rated round. And, you know, I, I followed that up with uh, round five, the final round, another round well under my rating. And so, you know, to win a major championship, uh, to win the world championship, it was not uh, acceptable to shoot two rounds under 950. Um, so, you know, three very solid rounds and I kept myself in contention the entire time, um, but two subpar rounds. So overall, I would say, I don't know, 80, 80 something like that, 70. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, yeah, definitely throughout the whole event, just kind of like seeing the ups and downs of it. Um, this is kind of the tough part as an interviewer and having to ask kind of like the more personal and questions that no one wants to ask, but everyone wants to hear the answer to, obviously. So you're one of the best competitors in the sport and you've had a week to kind of reflect on how everything happened. Can you walk us through hole 18 just from the tee shot to the final putt out? Can you walk us through your mindset of what was going on in that moment? Um, yeah, so coming off hole 17, I, I had a really bad drive, but I was able to clean up my upshot and get myself in position to save par. And then again, uh, a bad upshot. So I ended up parting the bogey on that. And, you know, I was pretty sad, but I knew that I still had one stroke to, of an advantage going into 18. I also knew that this meant Katrina would have the box and she would tee first. So I could kind of get to see what she was going to do on the hole. So seeing her drive first, go left, I knew that was a sweet spot. I played the Utah Open with her, and I played the other two rounds at the fort with her. So I knew that's exactly where she wanted to be and that she was successful in going for the green from there. Um, so I knew that that was pro more than likely going to be her approach on this final round as well. Um, but I knew that if I put myself a little bit farther and a little bit more right, then she would have to throw before me. And that is something that I felt was very necessary. I absolutely had to make sure that I was farther than her down the fairway. In doing so, then I could see if she went OB or not and decide if I needed to play safe or if she did park it, maybe I needed to go for it. Um, so anyway, getting up there, I got my undertaker exactly where I wanted it. I was about 80 feet closer to the basket than she was. And uh, anyway, I got to see her line up her shot. I walked over to the left so I could see exactly not just what the spotter would wave, if it would be green or red, but exactly where her disc would land so that I would know what type of putt she had. Did she have a 10 footer, a 40 footer, a 60 footer? And uh you know, she threw that F7. I knew as soon as she grabbed it, I knew she was going for the green. And uh, uh, she got it to hold over. And, and it started, you know, 80% was fairly safe. So, you know, I'm glad that I saw that it was a tester putt because that kind of made my decision for me. Um, I know that Katrina is very capable of making 30 footers, but to do so with 1400 people standing there to do so 
to force a playoff, I knew that that was going to be a lot more difficult and a lot more pressure. Um, so I told myself, you know, it's okay if you go into a playoff, but don't want to lose this right now. And I told myself if I did go, went over, have lost it right in there. Play and got up there. Even if she did make it, we would still go into a playoff. And that's what I felt I was the most comfortable with in that moment. Um, uh, I guess I'll get ahead of myself. Um, but yeah, so I, I, and from there was a dead straight fear shot, you know, about 200. Um, but again, that crowd of 1,400 people, the most cameras we've ever had on us, you know, probably my most pressure-filled shot that I've ever thrown in my entire life. Um, you know, I failed. I, I early released it. I was scared of going OB deep. I was scared of grip-locking it. And so instead of thinking about the actual basket and where I wanted it to land, I was thinking about what could go wrong. Uh, unfortunately, I let it go early, um, but I feel proud of myself that even in that moment, I not, like, succumbed to that pressure and that, like, uh, like, that heartbreak yet. I knew that I still had a chance if I would make my putt, um, from about, the spotter gave me a mark about 50 feet short of the basket, maybe 60 feet. Um, and I knew that if I would make that putt, I would put the pressure on her and I would make her have to make her 30 footer to force a playoff. So I remember walking up to that putt, even though I was sad, I saw the red flag. Um, I remember telling myself, no matter what, you can't feel anything. Do not feel any emotion until you've committed to this putt and thrown this putt because it's not over yet. And. Uh, you know, as soon as that putt left my hand, I knew I missed a little high right. In that moment, I remember thinking, like, actually not many thoughts, not many thoughts, just a complete loss of my breath, and just, you know, it was over. And uh, I remember I, I fell to the ground, and I, I remember just telling myself, like, you gave it a chance, you know? You can be proud of that. You didn't low you gave it everything you had you missed it high you know um but yeah to i think the thing i'm most sad about about that last hole is that i didn't make her make the butt you know if for, for your competitor to be able to lay up for a win it's a really heartbreaking feeling and you know i'm sure i know that feeling from her side of things like how relieved she must have been to be like oh, I don't have to make this, like, I just want it, so, you know, I, I can feel the emotion both ways, and I could see all the emotion in the crowd, so, you know, in hindsight, it's something where I've kind of come to terms with it now, um, you know, there's nothing I can do at this point, but to continue putting myself in those high-pressure situations, and, and uh, you know, continue to test my abilities under pressure, but I think it, even to this moment, I, I think I did make the right decision in laying up. Mm -hmm. um, but I have gone to bed a few nights since then wondering if I should have gone for the green. Um, but I think I know that in my heart, deep down, I did make the correct decision. I just didn't, wasn't able to execute. <laughs> yeah, mm -hmm. that, 
is a collective moment, and there's lots of moments at Worlds, and I'm sure it's not one that you want to have as one of your moments, but everybody, for what it's worth, viewing this moment, I think there's people compelled to somehow feel even the feelings you were feeling. Um, and that has to be truly unique to be in your position to know all of these. And you said, you know, you're not focusing on the pressures or even that moment focusing on the feeling of defeat yet. And in fact, you had hit a huge putt on hole 16 going into this final round, like this final three holes. So like it was there to do it. Um, did this, did this loss and maybe the way it went down, did this loss hurt any more than any other worlds that you have not won? Um, no, you know, I, it's, it's a really interesting, uh, outcome, honestly. I, I, the thing that I feel the most hurt about is, um, that people are kind of like attacking my character. Um, it, you know, win or lose, I gave it my all. I put myself in contention. Like I said, I was always right there. I was, if I wasn't in the lead, I was in second place and I was there the entire time. And that's all I can ask for in my performance. But really the thing that I, the only actually thing that I'm heard about is that people are, are calling me a cheater. And that is something that I absolutely will never be in my entire life. That is something that I don't care. I don't care how many strokes I lose by. I don't care what it is. It doesn't even have to be disc golf. Like I am not going to cheat. I will never want to win that way. And, uh, you know, I've actually played board games with my 12 year old brother and I've yelled at him and told, told him, I'm not going to play with you if you cheat. And it's, it's a, it's a, it's a real source of like concern to me. And, uh, you know, all are round four, I believe, yeah, round four, mm-hmm. um, hole 10, there was a triple Mando, and I, now, I know that I missed the Mando, but in that moment, it's, you know, a six-inch thick rope that's flapping in the wind, and we couldn't tell if I made it or not, and my group made a decision that, you know, benefit goes to the player. We can't tell. We asked the spotter, we asked the crowd, and everyone says, hey, you went under it. And I even asked my caddy because there was a little bit of, like, uh, not hesitation, but just, like, a little bit longer of discussion. Like, are we sure? Are we sure? What do we think? There's no conclusive um, answer. And so... I even asked my caddy, Gina, I said, like, how do we feel about this? Like, is it, are we sure this is the right call? And she said, you know, your group made the decision, move on. And uh, I actually, I did. And that was the best thing that she could have said to me to keep my mind moving forward mm-hmm. on the golf ahead. Um, and I was moving forward until, you know, I start seeing all these comments and people calling me a cheater that I missed the Mando and that's what I get. And you know, that's the thing that hurts the most. After all these years on tour, I've, I've never had any moments that my character was called into question. And, you know, for me to put up a performance in, in a fight and a battle for a world title and for that to be what people are choosing to talk about, that's the thing that hurts the most. Yeah, uh, I can totally see how that definitely would be the thing that hurts the most. And it's just, I think, opened up a whole new world of this is where 
we need to have standards at things at courses like this. Um, I'm not necessarily a super fan of triple mandos, especially that hole. It wasn't really designed that great for me personally. Uh, but at the same time, that top of that triple mando should have been a wooden beam going across it and not something that could, yeah, yeah not something that could be taken out by the wind or moved by the wind. I think that was where uh, the Mulligan's golf course really dropped the ball in that situation. And all I can think of is hole 15 at USDGC. It's a triple mando a little bit further down the fairway, but it's a top, the top of the triple mando are two wooden beams with kind of like this uh, stuff in the middle of it, just all wood to where if you hit it, you know, you hit it. If you went over it, it's very clear to tell you went over it. And if you made the mando, it's very clear to know you made the mando. So I think that was a really, really tough situation. But at the same time, your card handled it in the way that they had to handle it. If no one was fully paying attention in the sense of they couldn't really tell what was going on, or if they were paying attention but couldn't really tell that if it made it or missed, you guys did give the benefit to the player, which was 100% the right call made in disc golf. That's Those are the rules to it. Yeah, according to our current rules, which is something yep. that, you know, we are as players trying to strike that we should not be self-officiated. We should have officials on every hole or exactly. every, every call. And, uh, you know, we, should, we shouldn't be in the position to be making these calls, especially with so much on the line. And we're yep. leaving it to this gray area of, okay, I guess benefit goes to the player. So, yeah. Yeah, I agree 100%. I think that's another, like I said, where the kind of the PDGA dropped the ball, I think, for the FPO lead card at the World Championships going into the second and final round. There should have been multiple spotters on that hole. Any of the volunteers who had cleared up from their spots from spotting before, they should have had a couple of them move over onto hole 10. Okay. And any, and at we that had, point. We had, sorry, sorry. No, no, you're good. We had some, like, we had, you know, a crowd control person. We had people holding the scoreboard. We had all those okay. people. Yep, yep. Those were the people that were down there waving the quiet flags saying, like, hey, yeah, you definitely went under. And the whole crowd started chanting under, mm -hmm. under. And so it's. Like, you know, what? Yeah, at that point, what can you do besides build a better triple Mando? I think that's the only, uh, I guess at that point, that's the last thing that we could say about that is the triple Mando should have been something that couldn't have been moved so easily by the wind. Yeah, so I'll, I'll say this just from my perspective. This is the Nick and Matt show. People sometimes say, hey, you guys are too biased. And I just want to say, like, our show is called the Nick and Matt show. Like, this is not like the unbiased show. It's Nick and Matt. It's what we, we talk about, what we want to talk about. So, Paige, there, there was quite a bit of vocality. I, I, that's not even a word, is it? Vocality. <laughs> There's quite a bit of word, uh, people yeah. sharing on social media leading up to Worlds, and including some of the top known competitors in the sport issues that they were having with worlds leading into it yeah you also were one of those vocal in the u.s women's the major uh i guess apparently two months ago um and you were pretty vocal but leading into worlds i didn't see very much out of you was that a strategic decision to keep focus or what was going on do you do you have any issues with what happened at worlds um yeah i do have some some feedback for the for the crew and for the pdj um but i told myself you know i was uh i was hearing a bunch of it from my fellow competitors and peers and it was some excuse me something that i decided that it wasn't going to change um it wasn't going to change prior to the event it wasn't going to change during the event so let's just swallow it and get through it we all have to play the same course and all we can do is just play um 
with that being said, I did have a conversation with a PDJ representative after round one. And, uh, you know, I had just come off a round that I was beaming from. Uh, not only my score, I did open up the World Championships with a thousand rated round, but really it was, I just got to play with Juliana Corver, Kristen Tatar, and Kona Panis. And it was like absolutely my dream card. And to finish out the round shooting thousand rated, I was beaming. Um, and I was headed to pick up my dad from the airport. He was going to join me and my brother and his new family was going to join me as well. And uh, a PDJ representative walked up to me and introduced himself. He said he was new and, um, you know, basically said like, hey, let me know if there's, if you have any feedback, any critiques or criticisms. And, uh, you know, we want, we are trying to get a better staff or sorry, not better. We're trying to get a bigger staff and to be better about you know being more receptive to feedback and uh that we don't want anything to fall on deaf ears we want to start to hear you guys's concerns and address them and that was nice to hear and very refreshing uh, but it caught me off guard that it was after the event had already started and uh you know what he was asking me for was something that couldn't be changed um so it just felt like kind of like the wrong time and place to do so and, uh, you know, going to bed that night, instead of thinking about my round and the shots that I saw and the shots that I threw, it was more about like, man, I really just can't believe that that's the conversation that I just had. And, um, you know, I'll, I'll keep it short, but the, the phrase that really, or the words that really set me off, um, into like a, a place that I didn't want to be in. He said the words, oh, well, all of that was adequate for the 2019 Utah Open. So we thought that it would be adequate for Worlds. And I said, you know, I, I'm sorry, but I have to interject. Like, how is that even comparable? Like, mm -hmm. this is not the Utah Open of two years ago. This is the World Championship. And uh, I just felt myself and my passion just coming up and rising and just was blown away that that was being compared. And, and like I said, it, it was something that I was choosing prior to the event to let go and to, you know, basically to shelf it until afterwards. And then all of a sudden I found myself right in the thick of it, almost defending this stage that the PDJ puts their name on and just saying like, look at these bleachers right here. Look at the stage. You guys sold 1400 passes and, and we're comparing it to the Utah open. So, um, yeah, there was some, definitely some things that I, uh, some concerns that I share with my peers that were more vocal, but I chose not to, focus on those basically yeah and some people would say that saying something did do something and so your perspective is your perspective i don't know um if i was in your position just me i might i might find myself backing off saying well enough people are voicing it is that kind of where you were at or you did you actually feel like saying something wouldn't have done something well i mean just like i was saying like coming up to me after round one it's like well the tournament's already started like none of these things are gonna change i had talked to um 
the tournament staff, I talked to Jeff Spring with the Pro Tour, I, I talked to um, Todd Lyon with the PDG, all parts of the event. Okay. So let, it, it let's do this. Like I have three bars. Yeah, that's okay. That's okay. It was it was breaking up. I was filling everybody in. This is not your fault, Paige. I already let everyone know that. This is literally a last minute. Thank you very much for coming on. I generally captured what you were saying there. Was again, you were reiterating it came after round one was when the feedback from you was requested. So um generally speaking, you've had a short period of time. This is about a week later. What are some things that you've chosen to focus on since then? Maybe any takeaways, things you've learned? I kind of know who you are, and I'm assuming you're, you've taken some things away, some learning things, and uh, maybe you just want to share with us what those are. Yeah, I mean, honestly, uh, I'll keep this one short because I think I kind of touched on it, but, you know, it, it, it's not that I did anything wrong, per se. I, I was in contention. I was there where I needed to be. I just need to, you know it comes from experience and just handling pressure and being able to execute under pressure. So I just have to keep finding myself in those situations and I'm going to overcome those things. You know, uh, I know how to throw every shot. I, I'm capable of making 80 foot putts. I'm capable of throwing 450 foot shots. I know that I have all the skills. It's just when that moment comes of pressure, being able to execute. And so, you know, I just have to keep myself in those positions to, test my that golf brain of ours mm -hmm. that's right nick did you have anything you want to wrap up with i think we're going to cut her loose uh i guess i just want to say congratulations on the new test flight disc that has come out i've seen a lot of reviews on it uh i haven't got mine yet because i think i accidentally got it shipped to massachusetts i'll go I get the it underground for you, players i'll go get it yeah, yeah i was gonna say matt can go get it and test it <laughs> out but anyways congratulations on another new disc uh what are the chances that you can leak the name on the nick and matt show <laughs> um i believe we're about 95 percent sure but that's kind of why i'm here in detroit we're we're uh, having some meetings about it getting yep. it trying to get the prototypes out and uh you know maybe changing some things up but i'm pretty sure we're gonna go with passion just because you know disc golf is literally every single one of our passions and mm -hmm. uh you know i feel like every time i throw a shot I, my goal is to be as passionate as possible when I line that shot up and, and really feel all the feelings of throwing that disc. So it was very fitting for me. It's, uh, and I think it's fitting for everyone, you know, that's mm -hmm. what we are so passionate about. And, uh, yeah, I, I think that it's going to be a hit. And finally, we're introducing a full-time lightweight fitness into the lineup and so i think a lot of players have been asking for that and discraft mm -hmm. was gracious enough to let me put my stamp on it and design it so yeah i feel like we are going to have a lot of success in this disc and lots of players are really going to enjoy this gap that we've had that mm -hmm. we're now filling in so yeah i'm excited to get this week rolling and try to get all right. So, ladies Very and gentlemen, cool. I can't believe, Nick, you asked a great question. And Paige, we're going to let you go, but that disc name, Passion, is going to resonate. I got excited. I'm probably going to go grab one of those. Um, all right. So, do you have any closing words you'd like to say before you check out? Uh, no, just 
just stay tuned to my Instagram for the next few days. I'm going to be here. We'll probably go live and do some Q&A, some giveaways, stuff like that. So stay tuned. And thank you guys for all the support. I really appreciate it. And, uh, yeah, we'll talk soon. All right. Thank you for coming on the show once again. And best of luck to you, obviously. Thank you. All right, everybody. Paige Pierce. Um, what an awesome interview. I know it was a little bit digital, you know, a little bit, some a little bit break up there, but in general, we got a lot of good insight there. Yeah. Totally appreciate her time on that. And the last thing you asked, Nick, was a great way to finish on it. The passion (laughs) that is. I love it. And uh, Brody in the chat, I try not to focus too much on the chat, but he just said, imagine like dark horse passion. Like he can get a dark horse stamp on a passion. Woo. Exactly. So there we go. No, I, I definitely, I was actually, I was more surprised that she was able to say the name of it. I was actually ready for Bob to be like, absolutely not. Nope. It's an NDA right now. And just kind of funny with it, but no, it's cool. I'm, I'm very, it's another Nick and Macho exclusive where the only way you were going to hear it is to hear it here first. So that's pretty cool. <laughs> Nick, did, I mean, unless for our listeners, for yeah. our only unless listeners about it somewhere else, I have no idea. But. Yeah, maybe no, no, because for our <laughs> listeners who aren't watching the video, when Nick asked that question, she turned her head to the side to look at Bob to see if she could answer that. So I don't think she's posted that anywhere else. She said 95% no, she sure. So yeah. it's yeah, it's yeah. not 100%, but passion. Very yeah. cool. Very, very cool. Not pretty sweet. Um, yeah. I'm excited to try it out. So my general takeaways, I always try to do like my immediate general takeaway from an interview. Mm-hmm. Two things stood out to me that she lost her breath after missing the putt. The moment was real. That's like, that's how I'm capped, like putting it together. That moment was real, real for her. A big moment. Uh, Obviously one that's going to be burned in. And hopefully, as she said, she's learning from it. Um, But Mm -hmm. the other moment. And I can't say I'm surprised because I struggle. Not to make this too personal. People that know me really well know that I tend to struggle a little bit with what people uh, think about me. Now, that should, <laughs> there's 600 people in the chat. There's thousands who watch. There's 50,000 people who watched us last week. Matt, what are you doing on live and produced coverage if you care what people yeah. like? It's something I'm working on. But I was a little bit surprised to say the hardest thing was not the loss. That is almost, she didn't say that word for word. But she said mm-hmm. it's the hurt that's coming out of being accused of cheating or lack of integrity when it came to the triple Mando, I genuinely felt like, wow, like that's, I, I don't know. I believe her. Uh, so that's how I'll leave that one. But Nick, do you have any reactions of the interview? No, I mean, she seems obviously there's obviously hurt coming from losing the world championships in the fashion, the way that it happened. And you have to say congrats to Katrina on making such an incredible shot on hole 18 and to really play those last three holes, you know, pretty much to perfection to bring those strokes back that Paige had originally had on her. Um, but for Paige to be able to come on the show this week after a week of reflecting on everything and be able to, you know, be honest with us and be upfront and foretelling about everything that has happened just shows kind of like who she is as a person. And I, I really enjoy that. Like, I really enjoyed having players come on after such a big moment when it came to Paul Macbeth last week and Paige this week, they're obviously the runner up at the world championships. And it's not easy for them to talk about being the runner up at the world championships. When I would assume that most people thought that those were going to be two new six time world champions this year. Um, so I, I really do. 
thank Paige for coming on to the show because it, it's it's got to be hard. And for her to be able to come on, I think is a great thing about her. Yeah, honestly, why didn't we have it advertised that she was coming on? We usually try to promote our guests to give them the best benefit mm -hmm. of exposure. Mm -hmm. Not that they need it from us, but like we didn't know for sure. Yeah, She was on exactly. a flight and literally said, I will yeah. let you know when I land. And so when yeah. this interview started, I don't know how much I'm going to have to try to clean it up. <laughs> when it started, yeah, she, we yeah. were literally looking up from like her waist up at her face because she's walking through the yeah. airport. So you hear some of that and it's just so we appreciate the fact that she took this time. It is hard. It's hard to line up guests sometimes. We've talked about this before. So mm -hmm. the fact that this happened was great. Um, we did try to get on Kristen Tatar. I think we mentioned that earlier. And mm -hmm. I'm just going to put it out there. It's kind of looks bad on us maybe a little bit, but we tried to get on Katrina as well. It may yeah. happen. Uh, We're working. I'm going to try again this week for <laughs> right. it. Uh, and, you know, shoot my messages out there. Uh, we have tried to get her on. We are hoping that it will actually happen soon. If you would like to have Katrina on the show to hear from her, would you just <laughs> reach out social media? Hey, we'd love yeah. to hear you on the Nick and Matt show. Something along yep. those lines. Maybe that would help or inspire her. She has a lot of fans here. Uh, maybe she wants to talk to them. Uh, we agreed. I, we didn't talk Well, we did last week. Katrina. Awesome. 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 Win for her. Great competitor. Um, what a way to finish it. Um, Nick, we're, I think we've really made it to the end. I was going to talk a little bit about some yeah. other topics, but I think we can push that off. We've made it to our two I was hours. Say, let's, let's save them for the next one. Um, so someone else has just shouted out. I say someone else. We only give them the attention because you know what? He's the dark horse. Brody Smith says, get Ben Asker next week. So we appreciate that input. Uh, that is definitely he a does name have on a here. Pro -Am. Fact, yeah, he does have the Pro-Am, the yes. Disc Golf Pro Tour Pro-Am coming up soon, hosted, I think, at Ben Askren's Funky Farm. Um, so that is another interview that we would love to get on for people who don't know Ben Askren, uh, former UFC fighter, former uh, Olympian wrestler. Uh, from what I've heard, arguably one of the best wrestlers in the world ever. Um, so we'd love to get him on. He's also, uh, you know, a disc golfer and hosting a celebrity pro-am event. Uh, Brody, him, Paul Macbeth, they all talk all the time. So he, I think, would be someone very, very fun to come on. Yeah, and it's it's very relevant, actually, the timing. So, Nick, I'm putting that yep. down on your to-do. Let's get Ben on, Aspen on next go. week. I can't yeah. guarantee Brody, it to the listeners. Him up. Yeah. But it is very yeah, relevant exactly. with what he's got going on. Um yeah. And I competed against Ben Askren, believe it or not. Like, I've competed yeah. <laughs> not in wrestling, yeah. not in UFC. Yeah. Yeah. I've yeah, Not boxing. It was in disc golf. I did. 2011 Am Worlds. Uh, he performed much better than me at that. I'd be interested to go again at it. But uh, that we've, we've got people who like to line up. I mean, you reach out. You let us know who you want. It doesn't always work out. But we work hard to do this. Um, really appreciate it, guys. Nick, I think we've made it to the end of the show tonight. Um, let me, yeah, <laughs> hold on, I, I hold would, on. Would, Brody just made yeah, me laugh ahead. out loud. Matt versus Ben in a wrestling match. <laughs> I, we'll, sh we'll ship you out to Wisconsin we, so we can get some exclusive Nick and Macho YouTube videos up. What, what would that look like? Nick Matt versus Ben? Like, what would that look like? It would just come on. It'd be about it. standing up and then within three seconds, you'd be pinned on the floor asking for your mom. <laughs> It would be so funny. How much money can yeah. we raise for that? That's what I want to know. How much money? Don't those fights get, I mean, yeah. big money. They want to see if someone we, like me we, just get destroyed. Hey, if we get enough in Super Chats, I'll let Ben Askren put me to sleep. You know, we're starting out. If I get $1,000 in Super Chats, I'll let Ben no. Askren put me to sleep. 
Brody just said it. If this video gets a thousand likes, I'll set up a wrestling match between Ben and Matt. So please, there no thousand likes, please. If you're watching this video to the end and you get to this point, don't give it a like. No, I'm kidding. We'll take the likes. Slap a like on it. That's what we want. And that's actually funny enough. It's what I say every single week. <laughs> I'm laughing. So it's, just, it's just a yeah. really funny scenario for me. Matt, you would get folded like an accordion. Someone commented. Yeah. <laughs> Matt it, would look like would a pretzel. Very quickly. <laughs> I'm just going to keep laughing. I am really happy when we can end shows on a funny laughing note. We talk about a lot exactly. of serious things, but that's pretty yeah, funny. Yeah. All right, Nick, let's go ahead and wrap this one up. All right, for everybody watching and listening post-audio, we really appreciate you joining us here at the Nick and Matt Show. We hope you enjoyed this episode. We've had some incredible episodes lately. You can also check out some clips that we post on YouTube. They're not the full episodes, but you can check out certain segments of it. Um, please comment, like, subscribe to our channel. We had a ton of new listeners within this last week, and all it takes is a quick second to hit the subscribe button, and that way you'll know whenever we go live and whenever we post any new videos. So please, like I said, comment, like, subscribe. Go ahead, leave us a review on those podcast platforms. We are on all of them from what I know. And uh, tell someone you love them this week. Matt's got one last thing to say. I don't know if I do. I'm just reading all the comments. So go back and read the live comments, everybody. People just want to see whatever happens yeah. to me. We'll we'll see about that. All right, everybody. Nick says, We'll make sure it's recorded. Go out and tell someone you love them. And I say, Nick, you're awesome. The Nick and Matt Show. A disc golf podcast designed for you, the disc golfer. Find the Nick and Matt show on your favorite podcast platforms or stream us live exclusively on the Foundation Podcast YouTube channel.